Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your great love. Uh, thank you for um, this church. Uh, it's so great to be a part of this church family, and we love the life change and the generosity and the faith that we see uh, growing and coming out of this place. Thanks that, that I get to be a part of it, and uh, thanks for everybody that's here today, Lord. Uh, we are here for you. Uh, we are here to have a, an encounter with you, uh, to worship you, Lord, and, and so we invite you to have your way in our lives uh, and in this room right now. And uh, thank you for your word, Lord, that guides and directs us, that, uh, and so we look to it today. And, and pray that you would use it in a powerful way uh, in our lives. Open up our minds and our hearts to you this morning. Guide me uh, in my words. You do what you need to do and want to do uh, in and through us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you do have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11 today. And in case you're new, we have been studying through the New Testament book of Acts uh, since January, uh, working through it chapter by chapter. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, detail the life and the teachings of Jesus. Acts is what happens next. Acts is a history book, uh, starting with the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, and then the next 28 chapters cover about 30 years of time outlining the birth of the church, uh, what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of people's lives, and how the gospel really indeed can change the world. And, and the theme verse for the book of Acts, and really for this sent series for us, comes out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, but not before telling his disciples this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus reminds us, even today, because these words still apply today, that as Christians, we are witnesses sent by him into this world. Now, what does a witness do? Well, a witness testifies about what they have seen and what they've heard and what they've experienced in their own lives. It means that you are ready to show and tell the world how Jesus has changed you and indeed his love for all people. And I want you to notice in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, how Jesus lays out his master plan, really his vision for the gospel when he says Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we see happening here in the book of Acts. The gospel is advancing beyond Jerusalem uh, into Judea and Samaria. And as we're going to see today, it's pushing now beyond the borders of Israel to a city that we know of as modern-day Turkey, or the country modern-day Turkey today, a city that was there called Antioch. And a church is going to be born there. And that church, God is going to use this church to radically change the world. And you want to know something? If, if God can use a church from Antioch to change the world, I don't think we can help but ask, why not a church from Noblesville? Like, why, why couldn't God use a place like this to radically change the world? And that's why we do what we do. That's why our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. Our, our prayers, our, our disciple-making efforts, our ministry to kids and to students, our generosity here in this community as well as in far-off places. Like, we believe that God can use our church and our faith and our service to change the world. But as exciting as all of the growth and the expansion was in the book of Acts, there were plenty of challenges too. And to start, there was this underlying mindset, if you would, that was starting to present some serious issues threatening to disrupt 
the growth. We're going to call it today, if you would, the us versus them mentality. And I think you know how this works. The us versus them mentality just simply works like this, that there is my side of the story and there is certainly your side of the story, that I have my feelings about something and you certainly have your feelings about something, that I have an opinion on this issue and you, of course, have your opinion on this issue. It's this us versus them mentality, and it doesn't matter what it is, right? I mean, just in about every single aspect of culture and life today, we see this division. We see this us versus them mentality because I may love Qdoba, right? But you love your Chipotle, all right? And so it's this us versus them, or I prefer Chick-fil-A, all right? And maybe you'd say that you prefer Canes when it comes to to chicken, or um, I'm more of a spring person. Uh, You're more of a fall person. I'm, I'm from Noblesville, all right? I'm all about Noblesville, but you've got all of your pride centered around Carmel. Maybe you're one of those Purdue fans, all right? But others of you are one of those kind of hybrid IU Notre Dame fans because they, right? I mean, isn't that how it works? If you're an IU fan, you root for both of those. So those are examples that are all fun, right? We encounter these each and every day as we do life with others. But unfortunately, this us versus them mentality has a really ugly side too. And we see this playing out every single day. I mean, we see it in the the challenges of racial division in our world today. And so there's white versus black or, you know, any race. There's uh, American, you know, versus any other nationality. We see people that would say, I am very pro-life, and there are those that are are very pro-choice. There are those that are all about gun rights, and there are those that believe that our world would be a better place without any guns at all. There's, of course, conservative and, and progressive. There's Republican versus Democrat. You know the drill. There's my side and then there's your side. There's the way I may see something and there's the way you see something there. Well, if we're honest, there's the right way and there's the wrong way. And I don't need to tell you that this kind of thinking is so prevalent even today. Like our country could not be more polarized right now. And if we're not careful, this us versus them mentality Well, it can creep into the church as well. And when it does, it doesn't take long before it starts to look a little like this, right? This us versus them. I'm right. They're wrong. If only they saw it the way we see it. This kind of thinking and seeing people is not only sad, but it's potentially dangerous too. But it's been a challenge forever. In fact, for centuries, Old Testament Jewish law taught that non-Jewish people or Gentiles were unclean before God. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm just going to assume that most of you are like me and you weren't born Jewish, which means according to the Jewish law, we would have been considered unclean people. That is before Jesus, all right, you had to convert to Judaism in order to get right with God. And converting to Judaism meant at least two things. Number one, that men and boys had to be circumcised. 
And number two, that there were certain foods, foods like bacon and bratwurst that you couldn't eat. Needless to say, there weren't a lot of people lining up to make this conversion, especially men and boys. And it's not hard to imagine then the division and the struggle, the Jews versus the Gentiles, this us versus them. But thankfully, that's what Jesus came to undo. Don't misunderstand I'm not saying that there aren't great implications between someone who has trusted Christ and someone who hasn't put their faith in Christ because it does matter. There is a very important distinction there. One day when Jesus returns or when you die, the only thing that will will matter is whether or not you put your faith and trust in Christ. But let's not forget, though, that Jesus, he came for all people. He offers himself to everyone. That's why he said, go into all of the world and make disciples. He said to make disciples of all nations, of all people, which means that it doesn't matter who you are today. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter your past or your present, your criminal record or not, that Jesus came for you, that he came for all people, that he offers his life and his salvation to everyone, to anyone who will put their faith and their trust in him. And that's the message that is spreading rapidly in Acts through God's people and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, it doesn't mean there were challenges because the evil one was trying to disrupt the progress and this us versus them mentality was a big culprit in it. And so we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 11 today, uh, jumping over to verse 19. And here's what Luke, the historian, writes for us about what was taking place at this particular time. Verse 19, he says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia. Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now, think back, if you would, to Acts chapter 7 for a moment. Stephen was a Jewish man who had put his faith in Jesus Christ, and because of that, the Jewish authorities killed him. So you could say that Stephen was very much a victim of the us versus them mentality. The Jewish leaders refused to believe that Jesus was Messiah, and so anyone disagreed with them, that disagreed with them, was certainly put into this them category. But Luke also tells us that after Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem against the followers of Jesus, which caused many of them to go running for their lives, fleeing to surrounding cities like Phoenicia, like Cyprus, and as far away as Antioch. And why is this important? important? Well, I just want you to see that God's going to use conflict. He's going to use some chaos. He's going to use the disruption and the turbulence in Jerusalem and, and even tragedy to accelerate and expand the gospel message. Notice this, what Satan intended for evil, God is going to use for good, which means, and we've been reminded of this already this morning with that song, Good Plans, that God can use the challenges that come into your life and my life. He can use the crises and the conflicts. He can bring good things from them. He indeed has good plans. But pay close attention to the last part of verse 19 again, because what does it say? It says, as they went, as they were fleeing, they were spreading the word only among the Jews. And so these Jewish believers were scattered. They're only spreading the word amongst other Jewish people that they encounter, which isn't a bad thing, because at least they're talking, at least they're encouraging other Jews to put their faith in Jesus. But then we read in verse 20, some of them, however, 
however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And at this time in history, Greeks, to be called a Greek, basically meant anyone who wasn't Jewish. All right, we would also, we see the scriptures refer to them as the Gentiles. And I can't tell you how important this verse is. This verse right here, verse 20. And why is it so important? It's just evidence that things are changing. God's changing things. The Holy Spirit is having his way. This, this is what Jesus wants, and this is what Jesus prayed for, that the gospel is not only being shared with the Jews, but now it's expanding beyond the Jews, beyond Israel, to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. In other words, this us versus them mentality is beginning to crumble. This wall of division and separation is beginning to fall apart. I uh, finished a book recently uh, written by a woman by the name of Nina Waldner, um, a book called 40 Autumns. And it's the true story of her life and her family. They got stuck behind the Iron Curtain in East Germany uh, after World War II. And and her memoir outlines the challenges and struggles of trying to grow up under the the heavy hand of communism on the east side of the wall that separated East Berlin from West Berlin. But but if you know your history uh, at all, you know how revolutions and uprisings throughout Eastern Europe in the 1980s uh, gained traction. And by 1989, this not only physical but very mental wall started coming down in Germany and throughout Europe. And, and once it started coming down, it couldn't be stopped. And, and once it was down, many discovered their freedom. Acts chapter 11 verse 20 is a turning point in the spread of the gospel. Like this is another important step for the church and its mission. Walls are coming down. People are sharing Jesus with others. There is indeed freedom being discovered. And for us in 2023, we might wonder what's the big deal, all right? For the church, for the mission, like aren't we supposed to go and tell everyone about Jesus Christ? I mean, that's what this series is all about. I mean, it it may seem like a no-brainer to us, but this was a major wall and barrier to be overcome in the first century church, but now the Holy Spirit is on the move. Jesus is getting a hold of people's lives. Things are going as Jesus had planned, and of all of the places for it to erupt, it's happening in a city called Antioch. Now, quick background about Antioch. It's located about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city in the world at this time, or in the Greco-Roman Empire at least, home to over, scholars say, over a half a million people. It was known as the Queen of the East, uh, the capital city of Syria, and a really important military outpost in the Roman Empire. This city served as a major crossroads for the north-south roads, the east-west roads, a major highway going in all directions. It was incredibly diverse. It was a, a melting pot of people, if you would, beliefs and culture and practices, religiously uh, pluralistic and idolatrous. Some called Antioch the abode or the home of the gods. Gods like Zeus and Apollos and Poseidon were all worshiped there. Cult prostitution was prevalent. The fact is that many of us would look at this city today and we would say, that's an evil place. Why would we even bother? But I bet we don't know any cities like that at all today. 
do we? But before we go singling out a place like Miami or Vegas or New York City, Antioch wasn't much different than our beloved Indianapolis. I mean, you could say if you were looking for an easy place to plant a church in the first century, why pick Antioch? But God might, and he will, and he's going to establish a church there, one that will not only change Antioch, but this church is going to turn the rest of the world upside down. In Acts chapter 11, these Jewish followers of Jesus, again, they're flooding into Antioch. And when they arrived, thankfully, they weren't thinking anymore in terms of this us versus them and how to avoid all of the sinners in Antioch. Instead, they began sharing the message of Jesus boldly with everyone. Look at verse 21. It says, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I underline that phrase if you've got your own Bibles there, that, that phrase, the Lord's hand. It's a frequently used phrase in the Old Testament is a reference to the power of God in Israel. But here in Acts chapter 11, it's clearly used to describe or to refer to the hand of Jesus. And here's why that's significant. Because for the Jews, Yahweh was their Lord. But now in the New Testament, specifically here in the book of Acts, we see Jesus being referred to as the Lord. That would have been offensive or confusing to the Greeks because Lord to them represented any number of gods that you could imagine, including false gods like Apollos or Artemis or even to the Caesar himself. But now these Jewish followers of Jesus, they're showing up all right, they've come in and they want everyone to know in Antioch that Jesus Christ, that he indeed is the son of God, that he indeed is Lord of all. And what happened? Well, Luke tells us that people believed and they were turning to the Lord. In other words, they didn't just believe what they heard about Jesus, they turned from their sins and their former way of life. They have a new allegiance, a new direction for their life they are ready to follow Jesus. And just to be clear, from a New Testament perspective, the word turn is associated with the word repent or the word repentance, which literally means a change of mind, a change of direction. Basically this, the repentance is a change of mind or direction. It's a regret for personal sinfulness and a turning back to God. And Jesus taught about this. He taught about this over and over again, the importance of repentance, what it means to feel regret and remorse for our sins. That's an important part of trusting Jesus Christ. It's an important part of the salvation story that not only do we put our faith in Jesus Christ, but we repent of our sins. We want to turn from our past. We're, we're, we're turning these things over the Lord. We want his forgiveness for our life. And so we repent of our sins. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Next week, you're going to see a number of people People get baptized right here in this room, men and women and students who have repented of their sins. They are turning from their old ways and they are declaring that they have a new allegiance, that they are putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe somebody here today is not yet signed up, but you're ready to make that move. Uh, maybe you're ready to take that next bold step in your life. As Steve described, uh, he's going to be hosting a class after the service today. You should just go check it out. Again, there's no obligations in doing that. If you'd like to talk with somebody, if you'd like to talk with a pastor, meet us up front afterwards or reach out to us this week. We'd love to have a conversation with you. In Acts 11, 
we read how the message of Jesus is spreading throughout Antioch. People not only uh, believing in Jesus, but they're turning for, to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And so again, this us versus them was coming down. Lives are being transformed. People are putting their faith in the Lord. A church is being born. A community is being changed. And who did God use? A bunch of nobodies. I mean, do you see names? We don't get names. These aren't the original disciples. These aren't the apostles. I just want you to take note, God's using common, ordinary, everyday people, and he can do it again, Genesis. He, he can use any surrendered life. Like students, God can use you. You single right now, God, God can use you. He can work through your life for the sake of others. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, uh, God can use you. He can, he can use your life. He can use your service. If you're retired, you're not done yet, right? Like God can use you. And, and apparently the news about all the happenings in Antioch was beginning to spread. Verse 22, it says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, kind of the headquarters for it all. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So news of what was happening three miles nor 300 miles north makes its way back to Jerusalem. And, and because this was unheard of, again, the gospel going to the Gentiles, the church leaders in Jerusalem decided to send a, na- a man by the name of Barnabas to check it out. And, and if that name rings a bell at all, it's because he's been mentioned a couple of times in Acts already. The first time is in Acts chapter 4. Check this out. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. There was a man named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. All right? So they changed his name. I'm not sure how his mom felt about it, but the apostles felt like Barnabas was another name, a better name because it meant son of encouragement. What did Barnabas do? He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So in Acts 4, Luke tells us that Barnabas was actually from Cyprus and that he had a reputation for being humble and generous, so much so that, again, the apostles changed his name that we know as Barnabas. Now, in Acts chapter 11, Luke tells us that Barnabas is being sent to his fellow Jewish countrymen, from, or uh, to where his fellow countrymen had gone to, to this place called Antioch. Look what he found, verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And so Barnabas arrived, look what Luke says, and saw what the grace of God was doing. Aren't you glad that verse 23 doesn't say that he saw strict lines between Jews and Gentiles? Uh, Aren't you glad that it doesn't say that he saw rigid legalism and and do's and don'ts of following Jesus? It, It doesn't say that he went looking for a fancy building or a great worship service. No, it says he saw what the grace of God was doing. And while Luke doesn't tell us exactly what that means, I'm gonna guess that that means that Barnabas saw many personal examples of transformed lives. That he saw the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit growing and in and through people. Maybe there were signs and wonders and miracles being performed in the name of Jesus. I bet he saw people sharing meals together and people praying together and caring for one another. He, he, he saw Jews and Gentiles united in their faith in Jesus Christ. And in a lot of ways, Barnabas was the perfect guy to send to Antioch because not only was he from Cyprus, but look at how Luke describes in verse 24. He says he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You know, of all the things that make buying things on Amazon so convenient, product reviews help, right? 
I mean, if you do your homework, like thankfully by reading some product reviews, I've, I've bought some good things along the way, but I've all also gotten some lemons, right? Because I haven't taken the time. We don't take the time to read through the reviews. And so I, I've made some bad shirt purchases that I, I should have paid more attention to the reviews. I, I came across this product the other day. Have you seen it? This is the uh, Beach Behemoth Giant inflatable 12-foot pole-to-pole beach ball. Look, look at the review. A fun way to ruin a weekend, blow 100 bucks, Here's what it says, we took this ball to the beach and after close to uh, two hours to pump it up, we pushed it around for about 10 minutes. That was when the wind picked it up, sent it huddling down the beach at about 40 knots It destroyed everything in its path. Children screamed in terror at that giant inflatable monster that crushed their sand castles. Grown men were knocked down trying to save their families. The faster we chased it, the faster it rolled. It was like it was mocking us. Eventually, we had to stop running after it because of its path of injury and destruction that was going to cost us a fortune in legal fees. Rumor has it that it can still be seen stalking innocent families on the Florida panhandle. We lost it in South Carolina, so there's something to be said about its durability, right? Reviews matter, all right? Reviews can be very helpful. What do we learn about Barnabas? How did the people in Antioch perceive him? Full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Combine this with all the other things we know about him. Barnabas had quite a reputation. I think they'd say, you know what, he, his life, he looks a lot like Jesus. Can I ask you something about your faith? The way you live, the way that others perceive you, the way you conduct your matters, like what would others say about you? What kind of review would they write about you? How would your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, fellow students, people who aren't following Jesus, what kind of review would they write about you? I, I'd like people to use words like they've used for Barnabas here to describe me. Generous, compassionate, good, full of faith, Holy Spirit. Looks a lot like Jesus. Barnabas was an encourager. He was a, a disciple maker. Disciple makers are encouraging. Disciple makers are patient. They're gracious. They go looking for the work of the grace of God. Verse 23 tells us that Barnabas was glad when he saw the grace of God at work and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with their hearts. That phrase, remain true to the Lord, doesn't mean that he warned them, hey, don't screw up. You know? No, it means he kept encouraging them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, and apparently Barnabas' encouragement and oversight worked because, well, for the second time in the chapter, it says a great number of people were brought to the Lord, which means that there was a lot of work to be done in Antioch. So you know what Barnabas did? He went looking for help, and instead of going back to Jerusalem, he's gonna go get a friend instead. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. You remember that guy? And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. We'll talk about that in a second. You may remember Saul from chapter 9. He opposed the church and he, he openly persecuted followers of Jesus. But then he met Jesus face to face and it radically changed his life. During that time, Barnabas befriended Saul when other followers of Jesus wanted nothing to do with him. And just in case you're not aware... Barnabas' invitation for Saul to join him in Antioch 
is going to set the stage for everything else that is going to follow now in the book of Acts. And what we're going to see in the chapters to come is that Saul and Barnabas are going to become this dynamic team who set out to take the message of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. But first, Luke tells us here in verse 26 that they stayed in Antioch for a year and taught a whole bunch of people. But look at what happens at the end of verse 26. It says, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And this is a significant moment in the life of the church because up to this point, uh, followers of Jesus have been referred to as disciples and saints and brothers and sisters and believers, followers of the way. But now in Antioch, for the very first time, they're called Christian. It's a term that's only used three times in our Bible. Here in Acts 11, Acts chapter 26, and also in 1 Peter chapter 4. But the interesting thing is this, that the church in Antioch didn't come up with the term. The people of Antioch did. The people of Antioch looked at them, a city made up of Gentiles and Jews, and they looked at the people of this early church and said, this group of people needs a category of their own. Let's call them Christians. It's a term that means little Christs. And what a testimony that these followers of Jesus in Antioch lived so distinctly from the rest of the people around them that they were given their own name and what made them distinct? No more us versus them mentality. They loved one another in ways that were different than anything that happened around Antioch. They worshiped Jesus as the one true God instead of a variety of gods. They started caring for the poor. Their marriages were better. They lived with a different kind of hope and outlook and they were distinct. And not just because they were different, but because they made it their goal and their aim to live like Jesus. Now, to be fair, many scholars believe that this word Christian was initially used as an insult. But over time, it became very clear that these Christians were living so differently than everyone around them that they became known for taking on the characteristics of the one they claimed to follow. An insult or not, the results spoke for themselves. Acts 11, 21 and 24, people believed and turned to the Lord. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. And you know what? It's not just an Antioch thing. This is a pattern that'll keep repeating itself city by city, church by church, one life at a time for the rest of the pages of Acts. And it started in Antioch. And I just want to know that if God can use a bunch of nameless people in a huge influential city like Antioch, why can't he do it here? Why can't he do it through a place like Genesis? Like what's stopping God from using Genesis? What's preventing him from using you and me? And I know this, we live in a crazy world. Things are happening really fast right now. Everything is changing quickly. I know the temptation is to pull back, withdraw, build walls around our homes, our kids, our church, and let's just hold out till Jesus comes. But Genesis, we have to engage. We have to influence. We are here for a reason. And Jesus' command, make disciples. Not overthrow Caesar. Jesus didn't say retreat. Jesus didn't say go pick fights. He said go, baptize, teach, make disciples. Don't just blend in. Be distinct like the Christians in Antioch. 
our goal should be to take on the characteristics of the one we claim to follow. Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know what God wants to do in your life this morning. I don't know what he has to say to you, but whatever it is, I just, I'd encourage you to listen. Maybe it's to grow your heart. Maybe there's a face, somebody he's putting in your mind right now, somebody that you need to extend forgiveness to. Maybe there's a relationship you need to invest more time in. Maybe it's beginning to see your neighborhood in a different way, your workplace in a different way, where you're, where you study. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. It means as Christians, we should be the very best students, the best employees, the best neighbors, full of grace, ready to help, ready to share and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus with others. Maybe you're ready to put your faith in the Lord this morning. You can do that where you're seated right now. Just say, Jesus, I am repenting of my sins. I'm turning from my old ways. I trust you. I want to follow you with my life. God, have your way in and through our lives. We belong to you. Our faith is in you. We need you. We want to see many more people come to the Lord. We want people to see Jesus in us and through us. Have your way in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.